Hello and welcome along to the On The Whistle podcast. I'm your host, Zane Nabi. Joining me as always, my two ultimate wingmen, Courtney Fries, former PSL winner, and Francis and Quain, our man who's on the continent, travels the world, making the deals, the founder of the Best of Africa Awards. Francis, I guess this is an opportunity for us to congratulate Courtney Jürgen Klopp freeze on the start of his farewell tour. I was at the League Cup final, really loved it. Uh, Courtney, you must have been absolutely ecstatic. And I think what Klopp described as what his most famous victory or special victory or unlikely victory in his career, 1-0 over Chelsea. What did you make of it? Zane, um, I was very worried before the game because a lot of our big hitters weren't playing. But I think from a team dynamic, the performance put on the day, um, I thought, especially in the second half when all the substitutes were made, the bravery of the manager to put on those youngsters at that particular time, tried and tested. I'm sure you saw the videos of the youngster going back to school today. Imagine he played in a cup final, won it, and he goes back to school. Listen, Jürgen Klopp has just cultivated another breed of footballer at that club. Uh, the best thing that could happen to Man United is Jürgen Klopp going. Wow. What have we got to do with anything? <laughs> well, you're our biggest rivals. Well, what do they say? What's it? Your, your, sex is, your success is defined <laughs> by your rival's failure. Very true. Very true. I mean, I thought he'd be punching at a Man City or something, but okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. That means we're still relevant. But let me start off, first of all, by saying congratulations. Thank you. I think um, it was truly, truly, uh, I don't know if I could say a deserved win, because for all the applause we're getting afterwards, it was a 1-0 mate with a defender heading in a ball in extra time. But hey, you won with a lot of kids on the pitch at the end of the game, um, but they didn't start the game. But um, I won't take away your, 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 your thunder. Um, it's a joy to see, I have to say. And I'm happy when my brother is happy. And... Um, I have no skin in Chelsea's game, so I'm always happy to see them lose anyway. <laughs> so, but it was it was good. It was good. It was good. And, and I think I don't know. It, it, I I I like Klopp a lot. I don't know what it is. I think I like the man so much that I I can't help but wish him well. So when he's in moments like this, I think the human being is so special that I think he deserves a, a very positive farewell. And if that means him winning all he can win this season, that'll be a great thing. And he described that League Cup win as the most special. Let me get my words right, defying logic. I mean, we're an African football podcast, but we like to take it everywhere. Was Gary Neville right in what he said about... Um, uh, about Chelsea being um, these, um, what is it, billion-pound bottlers? <laughs> I, felt, I, felt, I felt that was a bit disrespectful, you know, because oh, no. a, a cup final, anybody can win it, right? If you get to a cup final, if it wasn't for two or three great saves from our goalkeeper, uh, Chelsea could have gone in, been 2-1 ahead, 2-0 ahead. So I, I felt that was exceptionally harsh. Um he 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 should have picked 
better language to describe the fixture. You know, um, he, his team has lost games that he's been part of. They went to Southampton, lost 5-3. Then the week after that, went to Newcastle, lost 5-0. Were they bottle jobs? You know, so listen, um, losing a game, nobody likes to lose, but I just felt that was exceptionally unwise of him to pick that language. He's a skilled yeah. pundit too. I think I like his punditry in, in general, but I don't like his commentary. Um, that's my opinion. I think he has a tremendous ability to share his knowledge about the game, his understanding of the game, with a little bit of the insight of having played the game, and we appreciate that. But I think sometimes it goes to the head, and I think this was just one of those moments. It was very, very disrespectful to a team that, as far as I was concerned, um, kind of like what Courtney was saying, they had done the business on the day. Mm. Yes, they even had the ball behind uh, the back of the net. Like uh, Sterling had scored bar for some very slim VAR decision that some people were still analyzing afterwards. It's kind of like that could have been a 1-0 and they could have had a second. All right, it's a football game. You win some, you lose some. But one thing we shouldn't do is take cheap shots. And that felt like a cheap shot. I think under Portuccino, we're beginning to see the burgeoning stages of something that he's putting together over the club. It's been a season, let's say. It's if you take the the it's not even a season, <laughs> wherever we are, it's like he's just starting out. But you're beginning to see something. They do have a style of play. They do have a crop of players who are beginning to understand what it means to play for that club. They weren't hammered 5-0. They weren't battered 6-0 or anything. They didn't bottle it and got slam dunked. They lost the game, the finals at Wembley 1-0. Okay, big deal. You know, let's give them some respect and we will wait and see what they do next year. But Zane, in, in just following on from Francis, if we're going to look at uh, Neville's lack of respect in his comments, I think we need to look at uh, Maurizio Pochettino's class in his in how he behaved when he heard this comment, you know. I, I, I felt at that time, because any manager is upset, you've lost a cup final, you know, you've got this massive team with the, the, the massive amount of money that's been spent, he's trying his best, and then I just felt the timing of that comment was wrong, and it could have had him explode, and I just thought he was classy in the way he, he answered it, and uh, well done to him, because it really could have been a bad tit-for-tat. Sure thing, yeah. I was, as you guys know, working at the League Cup finals at the stadium, um, speaking to lots of Chelsea and Liverpool fans. I have to say the Chelsea fans were quite measured in the sense that many of them said to us that Pochettino needs more time. He needs to be given a proper run. Um, yes, it's unfortunate that he think he's lost his third cup final in a row. Yes. Um, and he hasn't you know, got that um, hoodoo off his back, so to speak. But um, there was just a lot of um, maturity in the sense of, I mean, but yes, you get one or two people on the extremes, but generally people saying, let this man have a pro proper crack at it. And I think um, I think it just speaks volumes of him. And we, we all know the body of work that he did at Tottenham <laughs> when they went through a summer without buying any players. So, I mean, he's certainly somebody who can, who can, um, who can coach. Well, I think 
probably a good segue given we were talking about Gary Neville, given we were talking about United fans congratulating Liverpool fans. Well, I hate to say it, Francis, but not a great week in the Premier League. A 2-1 loss to Fulham. But we're not going to do an analysis and deep dive on that. We're more going to talk about Alex Iwobi, the Nigerian star, uh, the man who played at the recent AFCON final. He's had to archive and deactivate some of his social media accounts because of a lot of online hate you received and a backlash he received after the AFCON final. Um, all sorts of awful things said, not worth repeating here. Um, he is obviously the nephew of um, JJ Okocha, a Nigerian legend, um, and somebody who managed to play really well at the weekend, scored the winning goal for Fulham against United. Um, I just wanted to get your guys' take on how wonderful it is to see him bounce back in such a way to help lead his team to, to um, get a famous win at Old Trafford. And just the state of the game when one of its stars, somebody who's gone and served the Super Eagles so well, has to deactivate an archive accounts because of a loss in the final. Well, yes, Zane. Um, on this one, it's 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 a real mixed bag for me because um, I can understand why the gentleman will feel the need to do that because you you have to protect yourself at some point in time. Our mental well being it's so important. Um, in this day and age, it always has been, but at least we're more tuned into it. These things affect us. But I think he's a particularly strong lad any which way. He's been through adversity. But the thing that causes the mix back for me emotionally is how do fans get to that stage where after seeing the magic that this young man did at AFCON, what he's been doing since he moved to, to Fulham, I mean, we see almost like a rebirth of, of Iwobi. It, he looks like the player... Uh, we all fell in love with at Arsenal before his move to Everton, where he was moving on to big and better things. We're seeing this player again, you know, emerging. Um, he's comfortable in his skin. He, he wants the ball. He shows leadership on the pitch. Um, we don't have conversations around injury. His passes, final passes, sees the play. Um, very present. And did that for the Nigerian team during the AFCON. And then they go all the way to the finals. And then we get to a finals, which they lose. And then you see this backlash. And I want to believe it comes from a very vocal minority. Because I think the silent majority tend to just appreciate and maybe they don't say so much. But there is something to be said for this social media brigade and this new play that we have that is coming into the sport. It's been in the sport for some time, but it's coming into our space. We have seen it in Europe for many years. And I think the more and more we are connecting as a people, I think people just have a lot to say. And, and it feels like they just feel compelled to speak. And the easiest thing to do is to criticize. And their speaking voices are their thumbs. So they get their phones out and they write really harsh things and whether it's on Twitter, on Insta, on Snap, all of these social media platforms. And they feel like they have direct access to people and that they have an audience. 
And so people tend to overexpress themselves. And I think we must begin to figure out how we do not spoil the way in which as a culture, we have not revered, but respected talent. We've always been, we've always had a healthy criticism. The banter in our bars around the Bray, I'm sure in essay, it can be quite vigorous and quite healthy. But I think we have fallen into the space of just copying a lot of things that have been done in other societies and we're just carrying them into our space. And we are punching people who are giving of their time, of their effort, of their desire, in quite challenging circumstances sometimes to be of service. And we're failing to understand that sometimes and we punch. And I think at some point in time, we might see a pushback. That's something I fear. And the pushback would be people simply saying, not for me. You know, and it won't be not social media for me. It will be, I'd rather not put myself in that position if this is what I'm going to get. So I'd like to sound a little bit of an alarm and say, let's be careful the things we want to adopt. Um, that's not to say let's not criticize where criticism is, is due or worthy, but I think in this particular instance, this is a fine example of where we many people crossed a line. But it's good to see that the young man didn't let it get to him. Um, he chose my club to remind everybody just how good he still is. Um, that was hard to swallow, but I'd rather, again, that it were him. And you had the Enid boys, two of them, reminding us just how sweet Nigeria's football is at this point in time by uh, having Fulham <sighs> beat United at home. Hard to say but it was the truth. I, I don't know how to even follow up from there because I agree with all the statements. Um, I, I, I think he's, his criticism has been unfair, unjust. Um, if you look at him at Arsenal, young, on the verge of really becoming a regular type player, moves to Everton, starts playing under the managers that are there, plays under Frank Lampard, plays all the games. You know, if he was not really a good player, he wouldn't be playing under such an illustrious midfielder who knows about getting forward, getting back, scoring goals. He wouldn't be playing under this guy. The one thing a Wobi can never be um, pointed against him is that he's a midfielder that does not look for the ball. He's always available, always looking forward. And something that I said to Francis a bit earlier on, the thing that impressed me this, the most on the weekend's performance against Man United is his forward bursting runs uh, to support the team or make himself available going forward. You know, he's a Marco Silva uh, dream. The players are doing what they can. Now, if we look at the players, they, there's, there's different levels of players, right? So you get... The Mane's at the top end of the spectrum. You get the Mohamed Salahs. You get these players that are at the top end. But there's also players below that level as well who are decent players. I think sometimes supporters are just looking for Mbappe's everywhere. Mbappe at right back. Mbappe at centre mid. Mbappe in goal. Mbappe at centre forward. Mbappe in the stands. Mbappe in the boardroom. They're just looking for Mbappe's everywhere. So then you have that unrealistic mindset looking at the whole field and they're not appreciating the good work that some of the players who are good players are doing out there. Um, 
it, it disappoints me that we still are having the same argument of this unfair criticism of players because the supporters at times, and I'll even say myself, we, we, we don't understand that there's different levels of players out there, you know? And, and they, they don't deserve to be harshly treated. They don't deserve. Not because they're earning such huge amounts of money. They're there to be taken um, pot shots at and, and disrespected. So I don't like it. I'm sad that he had to do it. And also such a such a nice guy, man. Goodness gracious me, man. You know, such a nice well, guy. Well, I was going to say, you know, Francis, he won an award at the Best of Africa Awards not so long ago. I mean, it feels not so long ago, but probably a couple of years ago now. Yes. He's one of those, just like what Cornell was just saying, he's a generally good guy. And when you meet him, he's so reserved and very, very quiet. A nice guy. And he does his job on the pitch. You hear no stories about any overindulgence or, you know, he's not that guy. And you can't really fault the effort recently on the pitch. That's why it's hard to understand why people would switch on somebody like And you go like, okay, you know, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. But he's a good guy. And we can only wish him well. Uh, hope that he continues to do what it is that he does really well. Yeah. Continues to make his uncle extremely proud because he is definitely, he's wearing that same jersey with a plum. And there are some people who look at him and who don't know the JJs of this world and they go bowler of our time. And it's nice to see the young kids, even here in Cameroon, day before yesterday, I went to a, a little football thing that was organized for some under 12s. And what I found really interesting was to see four kids had Nigerian kids, number 10 on their back, and it said Iwobi. And I thought, wow, Cameroonian kids are looking up to this young boy. I hope they don't do the same hairstyle, but hey. I could only dream to have that hairstyle, Francis. So, Me you know. Too. I mean... <laughs> Well, listen, guys, um, I absolutely think you're on the money. Um, online hate has no place. And for a good dude like Alex, particularly, somebody who was obviously born in the diaspora, but so closely linked with the continent, it's wonderful to see him and the likes of William Troost de Kong, Sebastian Aller return to the motherland and play because we need that, right? We need that. That just makes us better. You know, what uh, gets to me about this, Zane, and I'm sorry to do this here because no, it's also in my mind. Go go back in time and listen to even now the affinity the, the affinity when they speak about people like Vinnie Jones, you know, real dirty footballers with no respect for anybody. But look at the 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 the, the, the love that gets given to these footballers. I, I don't understand. I, I was watching him the other day. I, I, a hatchet man, a hatchet man. But the amount of admiration this person gets. Now you've got someone clean living, playing well, doing the right things, no ripples in the in the water, nothing. Let's abuse him. Sure. I think this, this fascination we have with the holier-than-thou character off-pitch stuff, I, I also struggle. Because I love the Vinnie Joneses. I still want to meet him. I mean, like, I think there's something to be said for character and people who give 100%. And I think... That's that's my main thing. But you mentioned something over there. 
and this is so random, Brother Zane, I was I just came across something early on this morning about Tommy. I, I didn't know that uh, Doku's uh, heritage is Ghanaian. Oh. I didn't know that. I didn't know and, that myself. <laughs> yeah. So I was speaking with a Ghanaian friend who then, and this has nothing to do with what we're just talking about. It just popped into my head because we were talking about the people coming back to the motherland. And he said to me that, you know, um, Inaki's brother or Williams, Williams is, well, Inaki Williams is brother Nico, who plays for Spain. Yeah. You've got him. Yes. You've got the other Frimpong who plays for Holland. Then you've got Duku who's playing for Belgium. Belgium. And then you've got Broby who's killing it right now. Like the way this boy is playing football at Ajax. He's also playing for Holland. Oh, well, is breaking into their team. And then you've got Knopf who's a germ uh, playing for Germany. And then you've got Tommy Mayno at United, who these guys all could play for Germ uh, for Ghana. Imagine them joining the other lads who already have that would be one heck of a squad to have. So, so Francis, I'm happy you said that now. What is the attraction to Ghana? Now let's just think of all those images. When the bus was being held up by the press and they were fighting with the place. Now think of everyone you mentioned. They are sitting at home thinking, we want to play for that country. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, sometimes the responsibility of the supporters and the press is, is they have to think about, are we attracting people to our environment, man? And uh, Such good players. Good players. And it, then, just, it, was, it was a random aside. It's... <laughs> It just, no, it it's educational for me. I didn't know that. I did not yeah. know that. Um, yeah, so right, Colin. It would be crazy. Because we don't we forget the part we play and how we make things attractive yeah. to ourselves. Mm. You know, so it's gotta look right for people to want to be a part of it. But if Inaki is already playing for Ghana and his brother chooses to go play for Spain. <laughs> Well, we we might have seen Kevin Prince voting and Jerome voting come against each other. So okay, yes. that'd be I think great. Just the tradition. That's what I meant. Exactly, exactly. Listen, guys, this has been an amazing conversation and certainly one that I think um, is a perfect fire starter. You know, in a good way, in a good way, because we like to explore. For those of you who have listened to this talk and you want to chime in, let us know at OTW underscore podcast. Uh, on X and Instagram. You can also search for us on YouTube and Facebook at the On The Whistle podcast. Join the debate. Tell us if you agree with Courtney, if you agree with Francis. Tell us if you disagree. Uh, tell us if you want a poll. We'll put it up, but we love to hear from you. Um, we still have a few more talkers to go through, guys. Um, but just to change gears, because I know, Courtney, you had, had raised this um, in our pre-production call, but everyone on the continent, and particularly in South Africa, when it comes to women's football, we'll know that the Hollywood Bet Super League is the premier competition for the women's game in South Africa. Um, it's a competition that has 14 teams. Uh, but Courtney, if I'm correct, you wanted to maybe cast your eye on this because you don't think this competition maybe has exploded in a way you might have thought would have happened after the Women's World Cup last year? Well, when you, firstly, Zane, when the, when the national team does exceptionally well, 
the 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 legacy starts now and 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 oh, it starts you have to build on what is there improve on it and you have to start getting more investment into the game the numbers need to start increasing because you want to create a better outcome at the next round of the world cup you go to uh, but the women's league is just not kicking off the way it should have been expected and you know, if we unfortunately this evening, what would have been your expectation after South Africa made the um, the knockout rounds from a continent perspective? Morocco and Nigeria were there too. Like, what what would have been your expectation? My expectation, Zane, is uh, firstly fully professional. They have to go. It's as simple as that. You know, we're not talking about a country where finance at the moment is a struggle. We're not talking about a country where sponsorships is an issue. So the, the South African leagues, and I'm talking about the men's part of the South African league, is very well funded. And I think that the, the women's league needs to run in parallel with that in order to raise the profile of the standard of play as well as the female game within the country. And I feel that with everything that SAFA is doing, they're only looking at the pinnacles, the banana, 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 and some of the lower um, females, under 21s, under 17 games, this needs to be broadened, Zane. I, I honestly feel more needs to happen in that game to make it um, a more professional league because a lot of our players are actually leaving the country to go and play outside of the country, which is a good thing. But then let's look at Bafana Bafana. A lot of our players play within the country because the finances are there to support these players. You know? I mean, you, you raise an interesting point. Rachel Kundananji reportedly the biggest transfer fee in the women's game when she joined Bay FC, the Zambian, for I think 880,000 US dollars. A lot of people in the women's game who know more than me are predicting this summer we'll see the first million dollar transfer in the women's game. That's where we're heading. Um, I think it was Lucy Bronze to Barcelona that was second to Kundanji. But why I'm talking about this, and again, let me say, disclaimer, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert, I think Lucy moved for about 440,000 uh, US dollars. So the fact that Rachel reportedly went at 880 is about double. Um, and it shows the investment you're talking about, Courtney, where we're seeing in Europe and in North America with the women's game for a number of years now has, um, you know, been the the the, the pinnacle and, and the, the forebearer for the sport. But I mean, um, Desiree Ellis, for example, Banyana Banyana, they're looking to qualify for the Olympics. Only two teams will go. Um, from your perspective, Courtney, regardless of whether we go to an Olympics or not, you're saying we need to really see this investment in the local game in, in, in South Africa and, and across the continent? Absolutely. We need to see it in, in the local game because of the continuity of this. In order for the game to keep moving forward in order for the game to keep doing a really, really well and keep growing and also expanding of the talent. We need to, there needs to be more investment so the game can keep moving forward. I just feel that the opportunity when the ladies game was doing well, wasn't grasped at that point in time. So Desiree Ellis is going to have exactly what she had before the last world cup to go into this world. She's exactly what she has, which is a situation where they were struggling with bonuses, struggling with salaries, struggling with playing pitches, struggling with sponsorships, and she shouldn't have that. She's a wonderful coach. 
Correct me, Francis. Did she win Coach of the Year at the Best of Africa? She did. Yeah, you know, this is a high-level coach who is struggling. It's very similar to what's going on at Rochdale. You know, the women's game deserves <laughs> more than that. It deserves more I, recognition. If, if I may interject, I think one of the things I I absolutely agree with you. I think your points are extremely valid and the game must do better and it can do better. Um, um, Brother Zane just mentioned even like the, the, the challenges around qualification for, for the Olympics. Cameroon, today we just lost out to the Nigerian team uh, about an hour or two ago. Um, we lost that game 1-0. So the, the Nigerians beat us yet again. Um, but in our space, in terms of the league football, um, a lot more has begun to happen. So we had Diageo through their brand Guinness came in and they chose to sponsor the women's game as opposed to our elite male league, which was interesting to a lot of people. Um, but I think across the continent, uh, again, in our pre-prod uh, conversation, you were alluding to this. You were saying like there may be a need for us to revisit um, the way in which the women's game is sold to us all. So there's a bigger buy-in, um, the way in which we can consume it. Um, and I think the points you were making in pre-production are some point that I think we can maybe examine to see how that could maybe help fast track these mm. shortcomings that you are identifying because they are there. They're obvious for all to see. Um, but I think the challenge is not if the dollars will follow the boots, but it's, I think this is my opinion. It's whether the eyeballs will follow. I think that's what our real challenge is. There is an appetite for the women's game in our space at each level, yes, but there isn't a history. So the reflexes and the challenges we have around club football still exist. Countries like mine, the teams that were big in the 80s, 70s and 80s, they don't exist anymore. The thing we celebrated, all of us, non-South Africans, about the beautiful thing about Bafana Bafana, was what you just alluded to, the fact that you could source from your domestic league a fantastic team that could represent the dreams and aspirations of a nation at continental level at AFCON. And that could probably be replicated in the women's game. But how we get the very top teams to participate is just as important as how we get as many people interested not just in knowing of, but actively following and supporting and encouraging, then later on investing in, because getting the sponsors to bankroll is one thing, but they look for a return on investment. And I think the challenge is always, if I have my logo on the kit, but I don't have enough eyeballs seeing my logo, then I don't cut the check. So that's why I think the idea of building on those who watch, who follow that game is as important as having the structures. 
So maybe the point around the African Football League and maybe uh, not necessarily mirroring, but having a parallel play with, with a women's team running alongside could be something interesting. And maybe you could share with us a little bit more of those thoughts that you have on that space. Yeah, no, Francis, I, thank you for very much for bringing us your lovely, lovely segue to the conversation I had a bit earlier. I just feel that with the, and I spoke about the format of the, of the AFL. I, I spoke about that a bit earlier, but my whole aim is about promoting the ladies game because if teams in the Champions League, are in, they must have a female team. So whenever they go to play, even if it's on a Friday night in the in the training ground, the, the ladies play as well. Or if it's on the day of the game so that the entertainment is not only down to one game, it's down to a double header. Um, but all of this here starts to then promote the game because now the supporters are in the stadium. It's a packed stadium. It raises the profile of the game, creates further entertainment for the supporters. And then also sponsors can start to see the mileage in their teams. This doesn't only need to happen at um, at that level. That can happen at any professional level within the country. Kaiser Chiefs play Pirates. Sundowns play whoever they are playing. Supersport play um, Chipper United. The ladies' teams play ahead of them. More entertainment. Supporters are in the stadium for longer. The game starts to grow. The managers... So are... women want to be a sideshow. Well, you know why, Francis, it'll be a sideshow if you if you don't respect the game. Because we, we watch ladies football. We don't see it as a sideshow. We see it as a respectable league with respectable players. Zane was talking about some of the players that are going for phenomenal fees around the world. You know? And this is what we have to start to... And I agree with you. Will people see it as a sideshow? We've got to try our best to eradicate that type of perspective people have about the game the game needs us and it just hasn't exploded like it needed to man but i was watching arsenal versus man united in the wsl over the weekend the stadium at the stadium's full yeah. the stadium's full you know in their own it, it took all those kind of things like also like the clubs accepting or seeing the opportunity because some will tell you it's a different game and a different audience. And so the two don't necessarily go together, so to speak. But in our space, I think we need a very targeted approach to how we identify who that audience is and attract them to a qualitative product. And I think sometimes we tend to, because the South African example, like I would say, um, it, it's easier for you guys because you have a structure and you have facilities, you have the infrastructure, you have a history and things can be built parallelly. But I think there's something exciting to be said about almost having a standalone, take the best out of South Africa, fuse those teams and let South Africa give us three teams and let Egypt give us two and let Nigeria give us another two, and let Ghana give us one, and let uh, Tanzania give us one, and let Cameroon give us half, and pair up with Gabon and come together and make one. And then they play alongside a tournament like the African Football League. So, so you're you're advocating for a tournament like the African League, right? Yes. The AFL that went, you know, the, it's the pilot project was last year that Sundowns won. 
Um, we all go to the ins and outs of it, but you're saying the best from various regions play against each other in a continental showpiece? I think so, because I think it would engender an appetite because what we're seeing with that Arsenal-United game is the fallout from the women's team winning the Euros. It gave the English population then an ability to see the sport at its highest form and people fell in love with the quality of what they've seen now if you go across the pond to the u.s they've been entertained by women's football for decades that's why bafc can cut a check nearly a million dollars for a player out of africa Absolutely. well not out of africa but africa player via europe over to them right it's because their sport is developed and it has the prerequisite tools to to underpin a move like that. Now, yeah. for us, we and need it's, to and I think the it's the biggest sponsorship in the women's game exactly. that they have secured. Exactly. So we need to think along those kind of lines, creating the platforms that allow this amazing, talented individuals who exist to showcase their talent in the best possible conditions to the biggest possible audience. So again, when we're talking national, I don't know how big the appetite is nationally for South Africa to have 20 women's teams that will then be full with squads of 30 players each, and they're all of exceptional status. So whilst you're doing that, engendering that appetite, I think a short-term quick jump is ability to fast track the audience. Yes. So we create a platform that runs parallel to a male platform, but showcases exceptional talent. And I guarantee you, just like all of us who've watched women's football, you end up falling in love with it almost more than the men's game because there's a purity to it. There's mm -hmm. still the skill levels high. You know, like whether you're talking pace or that, that, that ain't the issue there. A bowler is a bowler. And if we can create spaces that are and products that are entertaining, then we start to fight the patriarchy that exists in our space, the prejudices that exist in our space, because they are a reality. So what we are seeing in the UK today is the result of success. But the success did not start with them having uh, a thousand teams all being successful at the same time. It took their national team being successful. And when their national team was successful, then people turned and went, okay, my daughter has a hero and her hero or my son has a new heroine and she plays for Arsenal. And now I need to take my son to go watch this girl that he loves how she plays. And so they go to a game together, father and son or mother and daughter, whatever the, whoever was interested in that. It's because they had showcased their talent on a platform that was consumable to all. And that's what our female Afghan can do. But I think at league level, that Pan-African League would be a great way to showcase the talent that we have because there's so many other countries. How will the South Sudanese compete if they don't have an opportunity to merge in the team? Because it would be hard for them to mm. build a whole league and we give them 15 years to build the grassroots and the infrastructure before they join. Whilst they're doing that, they can still be a part of something. And I think a way of being a part of that is if we have these aggregated or federated teams, kind of like what basketball is doing with, with the Basketball Africa League, 
where they have these federated teams coming together from different nations and different zones, and they play in their zones, and then they meet, and they hopefully get people gathering. I think it would be a great fast track way for the women's game to to be. Then I think even... we're in the same space. I think we're in the same space here with everything that Francis is saying, and the things I said before, and the things you've added. We are basically saying since what was a successful World Cup, a successful Afcon mm -hmm. for African teams, it just hasn't taken that next step. If you look at Safa's website, the women's game is still described as a semi-professional game. Mm -hmm. And it is. I mean, the, the Hollywood Bets Super League is a semi-professional league. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it takes a while to reach maturity. It's going to take a while before we're there. I'm not making excuses on behalf of Safa or CAF, but I think that's the reality. But certainly there is fertile ground for this to take place. And as Francis said, perhaps it's going to be South Africa with the infrastructure that can maybe lead the way and maybe get to the benchmark it needs to go. We just need people to make some brave decisions. And also, and I'm not looking to elongate this conversation, but a key success of women's football around the world has been competitive pricing. The pricing to watch a women's game is priced for that market. So that will attract a more family-friendly environment because of affordability. It's not the same as going to the Premier League, the WSL versus the Premier League or La Liga versus La Liga Feminine or the Men's World Cup versus the Women's World Cup. And I think that's a key thing. It's pricing. And there's nothing wrong with starting at small venues, outgrowing them, and then going, right, can we go to Soccer City? How can we make this work in the bottom tier? How can we make Moses Mabida work? How can we make Cape Town Stadium work? How can we make whichever stadium work out there? So I think it's fertile ground, but it's going to be step by step by step. I'm going to add something to your, your pricing product. Um, availability of seats. Listen, uh, people on the on the Arsenal waiting list for years before they're able to get tickets to go and watch their team. But at the WSL game, you could get in and watch a game. You know? So, um, yeah. The, the attraction is there. I just feel that it could, it could have accelerated, using Francis's word, a bit better. Well, gentlemen, it's been fantastic gathering around the Bry. Lots of different spaces we went to on the continent. It's fantastic to explore, to opine, to debate, to have uh, contrasting opinions and complementary opinions. Francis Courtney, always a pleasure, never a chore. We wish you well for the week. And we'll be back soon around this Bry, bringing you all you need to know about African football. Our heroes on and off the continent. And most importantly, those stories that mean something to you, the African football fan. Ciao for now.